All right. Good. Okay, so, so are, are we talking about, just a question, are we talking about uh, turning, uh, making our encounters come to life? Yes, that was the plan. Right, yeah. Sweet. I, I got three pages of notes. So. <laughs> Holy nuts. <laughs> I could help it. He's I, like, he's like I'm that. sorry. Our most prepared guest. I just I started thinking about it. I just started thinking about it. There's a lot to talk to cover. I, oh. I, I, try, I tried to explain to him that we just do like three bullet points and then ignore them, but he wouldn't listen to me, so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm a writer. <laughs> it's May 17th, 2015, and you're listening to episode nine of Roll Up and Die. A den of stinking evil. Cover your nose, boo. We will leave no crevice untouched. So, any time that any time that the conversation goes a little, sh- you can just cue me, and I'll just give you the next bullet point. But there is a lot, and I, I think I think most of them are important. I mean, not they're not all long in detail, but. You know, like I, I have it. types of encounters, pacing, purpose, environment, goals, imbalance encounters, mood, tone, narrative, stages wow. of an encounter, traps or puzzles during during an encounter. <laughs> you guys know what I have in front of me? I have a, a half-empty beer and an empty Taco Bell wrapper. <laughs> that, that's my prep. So... Congratulations, Rob. You are more prepared than any host of Roll Up and Die, ever. And you know what? That's good, because you have to carry the conversation. That's fine. That's what I was thinking, is that uh, I can start a, a, a subtopic going, and then you guys can just, you know, jump, go go with go. Oh, there. for sure. Oh, totally, totally. Uh, but but before we begin, I have a, I have a question, specifically for you, Rob. Why, yep. why the Swamper? Okay, um, here's a story. Is I uh, I live in a very 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 small town, uh, mm. less than 300 people, mm. and so everybody tends to get to know everybody, and they tend to hit you up with nicknames whether you want them or not. Now yeah. I live on a road called the Swamp Road, uh, so named because it the road is kind of a, they call it a corduroy road. I don't know if you know what that means. Um, it's mm. a road that's built up on top of logs gravel on top of logs to sort of make a road on top of a swamp. Now, to call it a swamp is really overstating it. It's a little boggy here and there. Yeah. But it's called the Swamp Road. I live on the Swamp Road. My name is Rob. They used to call me Swamp Robin. That was the first nickname I had. And then it was Swamp Rob, and then it was just Swamper. Oh, my gosh. I didn't come up with that name. I just always figured it was like Swampers, he who swamps. <laughs> I, 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 I've never had an awesome nickname like that, like ever. I, I want one. And, and, and you're missing kind of the, the, the real point here is that Rob is probably one of the only people we'll ever have as a guest that is more uh, rural than I. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for, sure. <laughs> yeah for sure. Town of 300. I, I live in a small town, but it's definitely bigger than both of yours. But uh, Alex, uh, what 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 nicknames have you had in your life? Oh man, uh, let's see. Uh, uh, the horned one has been uh, has been one that's pretty <laughs> prevalent in my life. <laughs> Multiple interpretations on that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <coughs> uh, the uh, the lake of fire. That's one of them. Uh, also, um, uh, Beelzebub. That that just kind of popped in randomly. <laughs> Freaking Alex. 
<laughs> no, no. Actually, yeah, if, if you look up the horned one, I'll, I'll bet uh, a picture of me will come up at some point in your, always, in your Google search. I always thought goth-nog was an odd combo because goth and nog? <laughs> like, you know, there's nothing similar about those it, two things. It's like so a it, Christmas drink for Central German A black holiday drink, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have never seen a goth person drinking nog, ever. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, yeah, I haven't, you know, any of the nicknames I've had, I can't say in front of children, because they were all, because uh, I was called them behind my back. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think we, we, all, I, I think we all know that, yeah. yeah. We all have those. Well, I was actually writing some of those names about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, is that part of your oh. three pages of notes? <laughs> it's on the first page. Well, to be to be fair though, I I think you're the only person that I've ever felt comfortable referring to them as their last name. You know, mm. you see it cool in movies and stuff like that where they where they refer That's to people true. as their last name. But you're the you're the only person where I've ever felt comfortable and natural doing it. Interesting. Interesting. Calling you Barker yeah. rather than rather than uh, Michael. So there's just yeah. oh, you just, you're just you're, said you're it just, in front of everyone. You ah! said it to everybody. The but, world knows. But, but, but it's on your Facebook page. I don't know. Oh, oh yeah. No, I I. <laughs> there's just so many freaking Michaels. Well, yeah, that's true. But Barker has just kind of a kind of cool ring to it. It it it, it conjures up images of of sideshows and and yep. the yeah. guy standing outside. Come on in, folks, and see the, the three the, the, the three headed right. newt. You know, right. <laughs> I actually I worked at an amusement park for a while, and that was my job. I sold games. <laughs> was, was it really? Yeah, I swear <laughs> to God. Uh, like, uh, come on down to long range basketball. Two shots, three dollars. You got it. Like that was my thing <laughs> for a long nice. time. <laughs> Perfect. Nice. So, so, so rarely I, do people I, have have that have have a name that matches their profession, like you know, so someone someone whose last name is Smith is actually a blacksmith or yeah. something like that. Shoemaker right. like works at <laughs> right. at at a at a what shoes on a shoestring or something. <laughs> right, right. My last name is ocean biologist. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, <clears throat> by now, I'll just quickly say this: the the best nickname I ever heard in my life is I knew this German guy whose last name was Kuchenreiter. And everybody, everybody called him Crotch. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. I think at this point in uh, you know in the banter, the people listening are probably realizing that we're one down. Uh, Matt, ah! I know Matt is doing something with his, uh, I don't know, his significant other or whatever. His fiance. Yeah, his fiance fiance uh but but yeah that's cool so so uh we brought in rob because matt you know our our thing is that you know family first you do what you got to do and but this was a great opportunity uh, this was a great opportunity to see like hey who are we going to bring in next and uh it was i mean rob was one of the first names to come up and we were like hell yeah so um oh oh i'm sorry i'm sorry um welcome everybody to roll up and die uh your definitive rpg podcast my name is barker uh my name is alex aka captain gothnog i am rob also known as the swamper and tell us about yourself rob like uh what do you do uh rpg wise rpg channel wise go nuts okay so uh quick bit of gaming history gaming since i was 14 uh played D for the first time in 1977 Played every version of it since. Nice. Currently loving the uh, loving the current version. My favorite version of it. That's great. 
Um, I ran a home game every week, almost without fail, for like 20 years. So I've literally written thousands of encounters. So I'm looking forward to this discussion, and thank you very much for having me. Uh, currently, I'm actually working with Alex, um, writing RPG books. We I, we got my first uh, we got my first module done, and I co-wrote a couple other books with him. And in fact, we're working on a book of encounters. So uh, I, I really like it. It's it's cool after all this time to finally be able to make a, a couple of bucks. You're not gonna you're not gonna make a living, but you can make a couple of bucks doing something that uh, it's a hobby you love. And uh, I, I would write. Even if I had no game, because I have to write. I I, I was once uh, I had a home player take over and, and DM my home game for a little while, and I I had to write. It was like I was jonesing. It was like, wait a minute, I'm not creating. What's going on? <laughs> how, how did you start as a DM? Did you just uh, did you just jump in like volunteer, or was it like me where no one else wanted to DM, so it kind of just got pawned off on you? Uh, a little from column A, a little from column B. Uh, mm-hmm. One week, a uh, guy came over to my house. We played D&D. He had the pink, I think it was pink box set, Keep on the Borderlands. He DM'd. We all played our very first game. Next week, he didn't show up, and he left the box at my place, and some other people showed up. And since I was the only one who had played before, I got nominated as the DM, and I was pretty much the DM for the next 12 years without fail. Not once ever a player for the first 12 years other than that very first session uh, i would say up until 2000 i my my dming to player ratio was like 95 to 5 and i don't think that's a good thing i think <laughs> one of the best, best ways to learn to become a, a better dm is to be a player with other dms um, see what yeah. they do see what you like see what you don't like oh that's cool i gotta do that when i dm and hey i don't like that as a player i gotta stop doing that to my players and that yeah. kind of stuff uh, test the waters man absolutely i think that's the best way i don't know one of the best ways to be good at anything right oh definitely sure. yeah I, I, I definitely agree what about you barker how, how, how what have you what has your player to gm ratio been um when i started it was all all gm all gm and and specifically all dm um, my first system was D20 system, which was cool, but at the same time, it was it, it had this effect on me where I thought all RPGs were like that. So mm-hmm. I'd I, and I wanted to make RPGs, so I'd be I'd be like, you know what? Let's make a, a Gangs of New York RPG. Let's do that. Here, I'll go get the nice. D20, and it was like <laughs> it was just like basically D20 Gangs of New York, D20 World War Two, D20 Underwater Basket Weaving, D20, you know, everything, every single D20 possibility. Um, but, uh, you know, I was, I was 100% DM at the beginning. Now I actually, I feel like I do more playing, which is crazy, but it's a, it's a blast for sure. What's your preference? Um, DMing. If I had to pick one of the two, I would really like, I like running games. I like, uh, I like storytelling in general. Um, I'm with you. Yeah. It's just, it's really cool to, uh, to create kind of like, a a canvas and see what your players throw on it. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely more rewarding. Um, although I, I, admittedly, I think, I think I'm probably, um, a better player. I mean, I, I, I think, I think I'm pretty good as a GM, but I, I think I'm better as a player Yeah, uh, because I can kind of focus all my creativity in one character. Oh and, yeah. And, uh, and, and really sort of, 
kind of kind of pull the other players along with me. You know, I I, I love rallying the the role playing kind of <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, getting everyone sort of role playing together, and and that 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 that's a fun aspect of it too. It's kind of like being a I don't know if you call it like a secondary GM in a way, where you're trying to get everyone to, you know, be role playing and and uh, you know to have fun. For sure, I can certainly attest that uh, as a player, Alex is very very good at that too. He's also amazingly skilled at coming up with out of the box solutions and just undermining your brilliant plan. <laughs> I was gonna say like that's such a that's a great thing and a horrible thing all in the same box. <laughs> I mean it's it all is. great, but um, but 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 we're here today, uh, and and you the listener, we're, you're here today also to listen to us ramble on about uh, specifically encounters and. I, I mean, how to make encounters kind of come alive, how to make them rad. Uh, so I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Was this one of your ideas, Rob? Yes. Uh, well, yes. Then dive right in. Um, like, explain why this is important, why you picked this topic, because I love it. Okay. Well, um, encounters are, even in the most sandboxy game, there's encounters. You encounter things and you interact with them, and that's what's interesting. And you want to make those interesting to the players you want to make the players become invested you want to make them want to learn more about that stuff Mm -hmm. and you know grab their attention make them so a a example off the top of my head is you're just walking in a town and somebody comes staggering up to you with arrows sticking out of their back and they grab your shirt and they say invasion tonight and they collapse now, if you're not, as a player, if you're not wondering, what the hell? Who is this guy? Who killed him? What the hell is he talking about? Like, there's something wrong with you. So, it doesn't <laughs> no, take he's much, a, he's a, a ta- good little hook to, like, make them. Uh, he's a town crazy. Nobody listens drunk. to that guy. What a drunk. He's shot with arrows. He did it to himself. <laughs> Pay no heed let's to go the to warnings. The, yeah, let's go to the tavern. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, you uh, encounters. I mean, everything is an encounter, really. I mean, yes. Even if it's triggered or initiated by the players, it's still an encounter. From uh, ordering a meal off the menu from the bar wench to yes. you know fighting with frost giants. It's it's all an encounter, you know. And and we can talk about all the different types of encounters there, are, but uh, that's why they're important. I mean, everything sandbox, railroad, whatever kind of style you run, modules. It's all encounters. You want to make them lively. You don't want to make them procedural and like little tech t- uh, boxes you just tick off, you know? Well, that's a really cool way to think about them because, uh, you know, when you say encounters to your average uh, DM or player in, you know, who plays fifth edition even or, you know, fourth edition, they'll say, oh, that's when that's uh, that's either when you meet enemies and you have to fight them or it's when you have to solve a puzzle. And it's like, no, wait, hold on. Like an encounter is yeah. every situation. That's a really cool way of kind of defining it because then, I mean, that changes the whole procedure that you go through when preparing, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, every every person that your player's characters will talk to, that's an encounter. And when you view that as yeah. an encounter, you take it seriously. I, I think, I guess, is you know, from a GM's perspective, at least, I think there are two different kinds of encounters. There's the uh, planned encounter and the unplanned encounter. The planned mm. ones are obviously ones that you have written up. You know, you have this 
the specific event happening that the players are, you know, the player characters are likely to run into. So you have some, you have, you know, all the stats written up. They're going to be, you know, going through this room and you have everything sort of planned out, at least, at least the reactions of the inhabitants of this place. Uh, and then the unplanned ones are the, uh, when the PCs say, you know, the players say, I'm looking around for a, uh, you know, a clothing shop in town. How dare they? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so that now, now you as a GM say, oh, yeah, okay, this, yeah, there's a clothing shop. It, it, it's it's called uh, Martin's Clothiers. It's uh, just down. You you see the, you know, sign of a, of a vest hanging from the, the, the front of the shop. And now you have to come up with this encounter. What it's going to be? What is, what is this character like? And it can be uh, it can be useful, I think, as a GM to have encounter ideas on the side ready to go. It doesn't mean you have to have like a full encounter ready, but having a file of NPCs, having a file of uh, descriptions of shops, having a file description of different things that will that you can just you know draw from on the fly to you know to fill this this encounter need if it's if it's an unpre- if it's an unprepared one. I, I think Alex uh, came up with two good ways to define an encounter, uh, prepared or unprepared. There's other ways to define encounters, too. Um, I like to define them as passive or reactive. Um, in the example Alex just gave, it's reactive, but on the part of the GM, where the GM is forced to react to something the player triggered. You know, is there a clothing store in town? Now the GM must respond to that. Clearly, this is a large town. Of course, there'd be a clothing store. So he has to invent the clothing store. And as just as an aside on that, when people talk about railroading GMs, the players can very easily railroad the GM. They can do <laughs> things where the GM must respond. Yeah. So who's pulling the strings there? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you, you have a good point there. Like, you know, I feel bad. You know, if someone says, you know, what, I'm going to look for a clothing store. I don't think I've ever said, nope, you don't find one. Like I, I, after, you know, of course, the first few times GMing, it's like, nope, screw you. You're a player. I'm a GM. I'm going to I'm going to punch you in your hypothetical face in this pretend situation. But <laughs> like, but but you're right. Like when they say, you know, I, I you know what? I really want to find a store that will sell me a shovel that will dig through the sky. And it'd be like, well, I guess I have to since you thought it up. You, you know what? I, and that was a crazy example. But. You know what I'm saying? Like, if a player comes mm-hmm. up with it, it's yeah. like, well, no, I guess I have to. Yeah, if it's logically consistent to the framework that the GM has established, a big city, then yeah, you gotta, you got to say yes. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like playing off of each other, you know? So, um, reactive quests can be really good um, for a DM to use, especially if you have the kind of players... I see DMs complain sometimes... Oh, my players don't do anything. I got to keep poking them and prodding them to do something. Give those players reactive quests. A reactive quest is like, well, uh, one example I gave is the guy dying at your feet. I mean, Mm -hmm. true, you're not forced to action, but you should be highly motivated. But you can really, really force them. I mean, an ambush is a reactive quest. But one example I like to give, if you've got really dull players that are annoying you, the next time they're sleeping in an inn, Two o'clock in the morning, you you wake up to the sounds of footsteps and burning wood from somewhere downstairs. You look out a tiny window and you see a whole bunch of armed men filling the alleyway. You hear shouts from downstairs, glasses breaking, people screaming. If your party doesn't respond to that, they're dead. 
Yes. So, <laughs> you know, those reactive quests can really, really work work well to put the fire under, you know, otherwise, you know, dull players or so that's reactive players. That's yeah. reactive in that your players respond to you. Mm-hmm. So what's an example of uh, yes. the other? Well, we just gave one, right, where the player invents something. I'll give you a great example uh, that one of my players pulled on me because I give my players lots of agency. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they came out of a building, and I had said it. This was right at the very start of the, of the quest. They had just turned in a quest, and I said right in the intro, and now you're on your way to a fancy restaurant for a fancy meal. And they get outside, and one of my players says, no. Now, I look down the street, and I see a working type, a working people's type tavern, and uh, I go marching towards that. Holy crap! And so now I got to come up with the name of this tavern, yeah. who owns it, how big it is, what it looks like. Like, talk about railroading! Like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much you plan as a GM. You know, when people want to criticize someone for railroading, I don't care how much you plan. At least fifty percent of every session is improvised, at minimum. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know. Oh yeah, and if it's not, a lot of times you can tell. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, so okay, so let's jump to really quick encounters as people usually. I don't know your average person thinks of them. You know, we think mm-hmm. of combat encounters, yeah. puzzle encounters. I'm just gonna jump right into the cliche: combat <laughs> encounters. How do you take your combat encounter and turn it awesome, like easily? Okay. First of all, encounters should have a purpose. Um, don't just have a fight just for the sake of having a fight. Um, it, not every fight has to have a direct meaning but or be meaningful, but maybe it could be part of an attrition. I recently had my players in a home game going through some really blizzard storm conditions, so I kept hammering them with setbacks and attacks and monsters because I wanted to emphasize the harshness of the land. So there's a purpose to the mm. encounters. Now, when you when you um, get to the combat encounter, well, the most common tip you see is environment, and this is a very very important tip. Uh, if they're outdoors, bring the weather in: rain, snow, hail, blizzard, sandstorm, hurricane, earthquake. You know, oh, nice. try having a fight while there's an earthquake going. Um, <laughs> if you're having an outer space game, you could have bizarre conditions like poisonous air on a planet you could have a unique weather in space you could have meteor storms or thick nebulae or or radiation maybe a piece of the ship is exposed and it's taking on radiation and then don't just mention that but have it do something to the combat so uh maybe if it's heavy rain now the ground is slippery and mud covered maybe the land is on fire maybe there's like small meteors raining from the sky and there's like burning patches of ground everywhere uh maybe in a sandstorm it's blinding and stinging making it difficult to see and reducing perception and and then you can also to the environment this is just environment you can add heights you know, if you're fighting at a thousand feet on a cliff edge, that's a lot more exciting than right on the ground. For sure. Um, <laughs> you you can have depth deep, deep under the mountains, and and make sure you make it feel like they're there. Use creatures appropriate to that environment, creatures that wouldn't be felt elsewhere. In, maybe deep underground, instead of torches, you have lichens for light and things like that. And then you can go more extreme. As I said, there's outer space. There's certainly planar adventures, underwater adventures. I had a city once that was a, a giant, gigantic, empty tortoise shell that was at the bottom nice. of the sea. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think definitely having encounters make sense is is important to me. Where uh, I remember in the old days of of D anD D, a lot of times you'd get adventures where uh, you run into a room of bugbears, and the next room has a room of orcs, and it's like, yep. Uh, is there no is there no reason to that? Is there no ecology to this place? Uh, and, and so uh, I think it's important to, to that if you're going to create a deliberate sort of encounter, that it doesn't feel like an encounter. It feels like a natural part of the setting. Uh, I've never liked things that feel like it's like oh it's uh, it must be time for an encounter. Let's. Uh, Right. Uh, let's let's <laughs> let's put this in here. It's kind of like in <laughs> right. Skyrim when you start seeing a bunch of health potions and a bunch of gold. It's like the world saying, "Sorry for about for for what's about to happen to you." It's like, oh, <laughs> no, yeah, kind of. It, it, it feels contrived, and and well, you, the, you always you always want the world to feel natural, even if it is contrived. <laughs> you well, want yeah. it to feel natural. Well, right, yeah. right. Well, the old games like you know Chainmail, old D anD D. There, there was a point. At least, you know, me looking back, it feels like there was a point where, you know, this dungeoneering war game turned into a game where you really played a character and the world around you was really malleable. Mm-hmm. And yep. I feel like, you know, I, I can't, I don't know enough to say, you know, that that's the age that we're in right now, but I know that that's what I love playing and running. So, um, <laughs> you know, anything that yeah. feels like it belongs, like in a, in a in a really well thought out movie um, or book or you know comic book, I, like like these two guys said, you know if it fits, you know it it it's good. Okay, so you can also have different goals. Um, so many combat encounters come down to last man standing. That's okay for some of them. Uh, it's fun to beat up the bad guys, but you can have look for other ways to win or lose an encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's Imagine a hostage situation where even if you kill all the bad guys, if they kill the hostage before you can get to them, killing all the bad guys did not win you the encounter. You lost the encounter. Yes. You know, if you want to use those terms, I don't like those terms, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. You could have an encounter that's a rescue, even if it's a combat. Maybe it's a grab and run. Maybe the foes you're fighting are considerably tougher than you. Get in, get what we need, get the hell out, right? How about escape? Maybe it's a combat encounter that you didn't trigger and you don't want any part of, but those guys do. <laughs> Let's get the hell out of here, right? That can be a, f- a fun encounter, just avoiding the encounter, avoiding the combat. You know? Absolutely. Well, it, that that takes a, a level of preparation too, right? I mean, that's that's one of those things where it's like puts, putting some thought into it, into what your players may or may not come across during this next game um i mean that's where it's super beneficial yeah i, I agree uh, alex was talking earlier about how he doesn't like to write endings to encounters and, and i don't either hmm. it's just it's just setting the wheels in motion and let's see what happens let's see what they yeah. do and I, i'm gonna go with it and you know you might have planned for a last man standing encounter and they might come up with some brilliant solution where they sneak in there steal the chest and get out you know, before the bandits even realize it. Awesome. Good for you guys, you know. And don't take it away from your players. Just throwing that in there. Like, you know, if if yeah. your players ruin your genius story that you threw in there, like if they if they kill the bad guy that you spent a whole like seven hours coming up with, <laughs> let them let them kill the bad guy. Oh, absolutely. Totally right. Absolutely. Totally right. Uh, yeah, you don't you don't wanna you don't wanna make your players feel like they have like they did something wrong or that 
Well, or, or take victory away from them. You yeah. know, if, if they if they if they get lucky or they come up with a really clever plan, let it succeed. You yeah. know, don't don't be so hung up on your story. Uh, there was a thread on another discussion group I was on where the GM was sort of bemoaning the fact that his players, you know, basically beat his encounter really easily through clever use of spells or whatever. And you know, my thought was they didn't do anything that I thought was either gross power gaming or breaking the rules. They they would just clever players you know they mm-hmm. they did great <laughs> you yeah. know they they totally were right you know so let them have that don't sit there and and be like oh you know i gotta figure out a way so they can't win because that once you once you get that kind of mindset you become the gm who is out <laughs> to get the players you like, become right, you know? that guy <laughs> exactly. you are yeah. that yeah. guy that's it. You, yeah. you you turn it you turn it from a cooperative game into an adversarial game, and at that point, players are probably going to start to sense it, and then they're going to have to become power gamers in order yep. to yeah. defend themselves. You know, to it keep playing changes the whole mood. Yeah. too. It's not good. yeah. No, you're totally right. It the story that you wrote isn't the story that happens. Yeah. What the players do is the story. Yeah. Yes. Uh Yeah. And 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 think about this. You know, if you're listening to this. Um, Think, think about this as an idea. You are smart enough to have come up with that awesome story, that awesome bad guy that your <laughs> players just just smacked in the face. You know, I mean, you can do it again. Like, don't don't lose faith in yourself. To don't don't feel like you have to say nope. This guy lives because you haven't seen his whole storyline yet. Come on. Like, really? You could do this again. Like, you can make another bad guy or another story or another magic item or whatever. If you're really, really in love with an big get bad NPC, give him a right-hand man that the party meets at some point but isn't around when they fight the big bad guy. So if the party kills the big bad guy, you can you can still got this guy back there. And yeah. you didn't steal from them. You know what I mean? That's a really good point. Like, uh, you, know, you know, someone to become the bad guy when the bad guy is no longer the bad guy. Well, how often do you see that, right? <laughs> it's often. It's common in, in movies and, and stuff and books where the big bad guy, he gets taken out by his henchmen, right? His 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 first in command is like, no, I'm taking over. I don't like the way you're running mm-hmm. this. And, we, and we've talked about things like this before where it's important with any encounter to make sure there's some depth to it. And part of this is about immersing it in the world, you know, again, giving it a real reason to be there. You know, why are these bugbears here? Why are these orcs here? That sort of thing. But also, the the things you're fighting are not just, they're not just, you know, monster number one and monster number two. Yeah. That they're actual creatures or beings that have maybe thoughts and feelings. Or names. You know. Yeah, or names. I always try to come up with names for for any encounter if something is intelligent enough to have a name. It's an excellent point. E- even if you're throwing a super simple encounter, the party encounters six goblins, make one of the goblins a little different. Have them have mm-hmm. a torn ear or a big scar over one eye and give them a name. You know what I mean? Just just to have him stand out and make it not so repetitive, like they're all just clones to be knocked down. He becomes an individual instead of just the group being a lump to beat on, you know? Yeah. Well, well, and you can make some of these characters either more vile or sympathetic, depending on how you want to, how you how you kind of want to spin the encounter. So maybe maybe this orc is wearing, you know, the ears of all these people that he's killed, you know, of various races, kind of around his waist or something, or around his neck as a as as a necklace. So you might uh, you know have that to show how 
what kind of person he is. You might have a bandit who has, uh, I've mentioned this before, kind of a, you know, maybe he has a note from his daughter telling him to come home soon, daddy, or something like that. So <laughs> where, mm-hmm. where you, 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 you still have to fight this bandit, but after you've killed him, now you have to realize that this is a real person who had a history. It doesn't take a lot of a lot of writing or even a lot of thinking on the GM's part to kind of come up with these little details that make this a feel like more more of a real person that something just happened to. It can kind of help keep people from becoming the the classic murder hobos, you know, unless they're totally right. <laughs> unless yep. they're really really unfeeling <laughs> murder hobos. But, <laughs> but you can also make someone particularly evil too. In the in the encounter that I just ran before we did the podcast, the leader of this bandit group was uh, pretty nasty. And uh, he picked up this young child who had been kind of bound up. He'd been kind of hogtied. And he was using the, uh, this, this five-year-old boy as a shield, <laughs> you know, holding, kind of holding him up literally like a shield. And he had a sword in his other hand. Nice. I mean, you know, not, not, not a nice guy. <laughs> oh. But it, but it caused no, the pa- but it did but it did cause the paladin to suddenly like step back and like oh you know what am I going to do now I can't just yeah. like run in with my sword <laughs> you know swinging to uh, to do this yeah very cool and once you realize that not every even combat encounters we haven't talked about the other types but uh, even within combat encounters don't all have to be fight until only one side stands, then it's very freeing. You can come up with all sorts of different encounters. Yeah. Imagine an, a totally imbalanced encounter. Imagine, you know, Bilbo met Smog. I mean, you can't get much more imbalanced than that, no. right? And he survived. So not yeah. every encounter has to be, you know, where it's, all right, we can take these guys, we can take these guys. And then you can do the opposite. If you want to have some, you know, give the party some fun, make them feel powerful. Let's say you've got a fairly mid-high-level oh, yeah. party, and they encounter twenty goblins. That is right? so important. Or, like just like even sporadically throughout the campaign, you know, just to eventually, you know, every once in a while, remind your players that hey, your characters are badass. You know, right. just let them kill some goblins. I mean, even if it takes the whole session, let them do it because they're going to feel like, you know, that character from Lord of the Rings or Game of yeah. Thrones just cutting people down left and right, no problem. And that's such a that's a, that's why a lot of people play the games that we play. <laughs> well, well, yeah, that, that was kind of like at the uh, at the end of the uh, the Lord of the Rings books, they had uh, the characters, the hobbits return to Hobbiton. And find it kind of in shambles, and but now these these are these are not just humble hobbits that had left the Shire, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. They're they're battle hardened. They're, yes. they're they've seen shit, man. You know, so <laughs> now, now 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 when someone now, now when one of these you know these thugs comes up to Mary and is like you know yeah I'm a big tough thug and it's like yeah yeah you're pretty tough yeah. You know, I stabbed the Witch King of Angmar in the back of the leg with a fucking <laughs> knife. <laughs> <laughs> I you rode know. in with the Rohirrim at the Battle of Pelennor <laughs> Field, you exactly. asshole. What have you done in the last yeah. five years? Exactly. So Gan- Gandalf's my close friend. Not, yeah, not, <laughs> not, not, now I'm facing this thug. It's like, <laughs> forget it, pal. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's a. Uh, I, I actually I like that part of Lord of the Rings about how like, you know, they have two options here. Um in Lord of the Rings specifically. They can let the evil, the darkness just devour the world and lose. Or they can defeat the evil but at cost in that 
every single one of these characters uh, is kind of a shadow of what they used to be. You know, they all change, and sometimes in a very negative way, especially with Frodo. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Throw that at your players all day. Well, I d- day. I, yeah, well, I definitely like when they can succeed at a cost, you know. I, I, I love that. And and bring it to encounters. <clears throat> you can easily design encounters like that, too. Like with it, Especially when you include moral dilemmas. Kind of like, like the one I mentioned, where the bad mm-hmm. guy's using a, a child as a shield or something like that, where... They now have to decide. It's like, how much do we want to get these guys? Now we have to worry about these people that are threatened based on our based on our decision. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe they even have to make a decision of who lives and who dies. You know, and maybe there is no good side to it. Maybe I have to choose if 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 this good person dies or this good person dies for the sake of this larger uh, this larger greater good. Let's say. Yeah, and it doesn't always have to be on a big scale. Uh, no. One thing I want to mention about encounters is. You can write them very, very small. I had a, a little tiny, tiny encounter in my home campaign where one of the players was walking around town in the evening and he saw a fairly big guy, let's say heavily intimidating a smaller guy. And when he listened closely, he found out that the smaller guy had borrowed money from the money lender and was weeks overdue on payment. And this big guy, who wasn't you know, stabbing him or killing him, he was like, Where's the money? You're hey, man, come on. Do. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> and so the players got, there's no right or wrong answer there on what the player wants to do. He could do nothing. He could just ignore it. He could take one side and help defend the little guy, in which case he's going to piss off the money lender and his mm-hmm. his doom. Or he can side technically with the law and say, well, you, you do owe the money. You're, owe, you are late, in which case he makes a friend and an enemy that way. So... You don't have to have like a clear-cut answer, and the players are free to choose. And I like it because I don't know what's going to happen as the GM, and whatever they choose, it that's going to create some sort of emergent something. This NPC becomes a friend. This NPC becomes an enemy, or vice versa. You know. I, I feel like this. You know, we're uh, encounters. Is you're right, Rob. You said this at the beginning. It's such a huge topic, and like this, this episode is kind of turning into a. Kind of like a, you know, be courageous episode. You know, don't be afraid to, you know, suspend your, you know, 10-page plot that you wrote up before session one. Like, seriously, uh, don't be afraid to say, ah, what the hell, that's going in the trash. Let's see what happens. Well, it's just, there's a difference between story and events. I don't really write a lot of story. I write events, which means if the party isn't here, if the party wasn't here, this is going on. This person is doing this. This person is doing this. Yeah. The world exists beside outside the PCs. Now, those <laughs> not, events not are occurring. Like, it's not like that uh, that video game where it's like what everybody's frozen. Where it's like yeah, Final Fantasy. Where it's like oh my god, the world's gonna end. It's like so I'm just gonna go you know bowling for the next like five weeks because it <laughs> right. gets me gold. <laughs> <laughs> right. I need to build up my my bowling skill before I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't remember the game I <laughs> So you, you can even have scheduled events. You're like you can say one month game time after the players, the characters enter the world. This is going to occur. Now the players might find out about it and interrupt that. They might not and have to react to it. Mm-hmm. But you're not forcing the players to do anything. So you're not railroading. You're just saying this is what's going on in the world. What do you want to do about it? If anything, yeah, I, I like I like background story and the and the game that I'm running on my channel right now, The Winds of Sir Celine, There's a 
there's pretty soon going to be this huge kind of background event occurring. And it's not it's not really going to affect the player's characters directly, but they're going to have some chances to kind of tap into it and say, oh, we need some help from these people, you know, so let's, mm-hmm. you know, let's talk to these people or these people or let's go get that magic item. And all this stuff is kind of going on in the background, you know. And right now, I have no idea if they're going to tap into it. I have no idea if they're going to use it at all. They might use yeah. all of it, none of it, some of it. But it's there. And, th- you know, if you feel like you need to prepare, this is how I feel. If you feel like you really, really, really need to prep like crazy and make a bunch of story, do the background story. You know, don't, you know, the players are coming to the table. That's all they've got is their character sheet. This is all they're allowed to use you know, right. so don't take that from them. Don't don't take their their storyline, their their destiny away from them. Let them choose that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and uh, you can kind of write stuff sort of retroactively as the, as the PCs develop. So, in other words, as the PCs do things, you can then sort of rewrite some of your own history to sort of fit in with what they're doing. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. In, in other words, well, yeah, kind of kind of. You know, mold your world to fit theirs. Every every gaming world is kind of like a quantum world. It it doesn't exist until someone's observed it. Mm-hmm. So if someone has a if someone has not observed something in your world, then you can do whatever you want with it still. Yeah. Uh, based on what the characters do. If they kill the NPC what? and you had the background story, you know, you can use that background story somewhere else. Right. Right. Or or uh, if it's like a no name NPC and they become interested in that NPC. Then you can oh well I'm going to write a backstory for that NPC now and maybe uh, some goals for that NPC because they seem to really like that character. Yeah, that really that is, yeah. yeah, I was going to say that is a really good point about things that can emerge from encounters. This is kind of uh, kind of topical to me because the uh, the character of Gothnog was actually a kind of a throwaway NPC that I came up with on the fly because Oop. one one of the players in my game wanted to basically uh, mug a. A merchant, you know, they wanted to, you know, kind of pickpocket him, maybe, maybe kind of flirt with him a bit to try and, you know, get him lower the defenses and then steal him blind. That sort of damn thing. characters. <laughs> I know. So I came up, so I came up with this half orc merchant named Gothnog, and he was a he's a fabric merchant, uh, and 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 I, I came up with something on the fly really quick, and then as the party sort of interacted with him, he began to develop more and more, and, and finally, so I so I ended up having to write more and more about him. And he became this kind of regularly occurring NPC in the in the in the uh, in the adventure, and so it, it became a uh, became a more prominent character and just grew and grew and grew out of this one, you know, completely improvised throwaway NPC, and and that's the really cool thing about encounters, is that they can take your adventure in ways that even you don't, as a GM, don't expect, and I love that as a GM because I love being surprised. That's why I love okay. giving players more agency. I love giving, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I love keeping the world fluid and loose because I can be surprised where things go. Because I love that, <laughs> you know. I, I love seeing things uh, not go as I plan because it's it's exciting. Yeah, I don't want to know the ending, and I mean, since the players are choosing their own actions and they have agency, I'm not the sole writer here. Everybody is a writer. Yeah. So let's see where the ending turns out. I, I don't want to know the ending in advance. Right? I just like to set up encounters. Here's the beginning. Here's the 
the ball of snow at the top of the hill, and I'm going to give it a push. Let's see where it goes, and let's see what happens. Yeah. Here's a, a make, make sure they have lots of options, too. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to narrow their options to, you must do it this way, because you might as well just give them a script then. <laughs> yeah. And if you're like me, you know, you're building the world as you play, as you run yeah. the game. You know, the world's growing, the setting's growing, everything, and the players might be contributing to that. Well, it's just like Alex was saying, or I was saying, if the players start to show an interest in a certain place, yeah. you're like... Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll put some detail in that place now if that's what they want to explore. Yep, yeah, absolutely. It helps, and that's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, the more you're surprised as a DM, the more your world grows in, in yeah. interesting ways. If you're never surprised, then it's you know the, your world's just going to be what you make of it. But come on, man. You know, we're all so good. I, I find that it's so much easier for me to build upon that which other people give me. Does that make sense? Like, you know, oh, yeah. if you know, I, I won't be able to think of something. I won't be able to think of something. But then I'll draw a tarot card, and I'll look at it, and I'll be like, okay, this specific card means this specific thing. And all of a sudden, my mind just explodes with these like too many ideas. Mm-hmm. Sure. So yeah, sure. And that the same thing kind of happens when you let your players' characters decide, you know what, uh, I'm going to find this type of shop in the town. Anything as simple yeah. as that, too. You know, just um, play off your, your your players' decisions, and your world will benefit for sure. I had that exact same th- I had that exact thing happen when, you know, the, the, the players did something unexpected, and, and I, I ended up turning a kind of a, just a, a background NPC into their, into the main, uh, I don't want to say villain, but certainly the main uh, antagonist in in the uh, in in this uh, impromptu adventure that took place, and I think that any encounter can turn into a an adventure seed if uh, you know if the players show enough interest in it, and they can even turn it into an adventure seed. Yeah, you know they they might you might have a quick encounter where something happens, and they might they may begin to dig into it and begin to ask questions, and you might say, oh. As a GM, oh, okay. Well, this they're they're looking at this more as a uh, as a mystery. So now I can begin to build this sort of mystery around it. Nice. Or they can go the other way. <laughs> you know, you got you got some diplomatic encounter, and the barbarian gets bored, and he says, "I kick over the tail, and I the table, and I grab him by the shirt collar, and I slam him up against him." And all the other players are like, "Oh crap! Here we go! Here we go! Thagmar's at it again!" You know. So any diplomatic encounter you might have had planned as a GM is right out the window now. Yeah. So one one cool, one cool thing you can do with encounters is to turn them is to kind of turn them on their heads, and and by that I mean you can make them uh, give 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 the give the player something unexpected. Uh, one example of that I did was the the uh, the players were going into this town to find out why communication with this little town had stopped. You know they had. Uh, uh, no one had heard from them for a while, so they were going in, and it was dark and rainy. I mean, it kind of really moody. And uh, a group of them was sitting outside of town on horses, and they sent one guy in to sort of look because they couldn't see anyone on the streets. So uh, one guy went in, and he gets off his horse, and he's kind of looking between the buildings, and he's looking down this alley, and he sees this guy come, kind of staggering towards him, you know, holding something in his hand that you know looked like a bottle. So he figures, oh, it's you know maybe the town drunk or something. 
so as, as he's kind of staggering towards him, you know, he kind of walks up to him. It's like, hey, you, you, what's 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 going on? You know, and the guy just keeps walking toward him. And it turned out that this wasn't just a drunk hobo with a, a bottle of, of alcohol or something like that. It was a zombie with, you know, part of a foot in his hand. Who <laughs> uh, <laughs> then like, grabbed, grabbed him and, uh, and, and and tried to bite him. So it was suddenly, you know, um, he was expecting to have this kind of weird verbal encounter with a uh, with a with a drunk and ended up, you know, having a, a combat encounter with a zombie. So it'd be surprising, uh, you know. Be- yeah, exactly. You can always paint it in a way that that maybe. Um, kind of misleads them a little bit to, so that they're not sure what kind of encounter they're they're having. No, for sure. Um, so before we get to our audience question and the idea that you know the audience can steal, Rob, I want to ask you a question. How would you feel about in a couple episodes? Because our next episode is episode ten, so we're going to do an around the town thing. But episode eleven, how would you feel about coming back and kind of revisiting this topic? Sure, because like you said at the beginning, there's just so much. I mean, the, the, I mean, there's just there are millions <laughs> of things we could talk about, and we yeah. are discovering that as we go. This is kind of like a ramble session, but I don't think it's any less you know awesome. So um, yeah, so I, I I just think that I'd like to have you, and, and I know I speak for everybody, I uh, that we'd like to have you mm-hmm. back on the show, and I know Matt would want to be here talking to you about this too. Yeah. Great. Yeah, great. Great, great to have Matt back in, too, on the yeah. discussion. Yeah, I'm a big fan of you guys. Yeah, well, All yes. We're a big fan of you, Rob. I, I've been loving the podcast. It's awesome. <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, so let's take a question from the audience. Now, I am a tool. I'm a, a huge tool, maybe a crescent <laughs> wrench, maybe a monkey wrench. But <laughs> I... 35 minutes ago, just posted on the Roll Up and Die Facebook page at facebook.com slash rollupanddie. Um, I posted the, hey, guys, we're talking about this. Post your questions below, because I totally forgot to post that earlier today. And so we have a grand total of one question. <laughs> so Hopefully it's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's actually pretty good. Matthew, oh, good. Matthew R., congratulations. Your question gets picked. And it's very simple. <laughs> Lava or acid? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I think lava is more cinematic. You know, it has that heat kind of rising from it. There's a, it it has, you know, this kind of glow that it is, uh, uh, it's pretty dramatic. Um, uh, I I, I like lava. Yeah. I I think lava. Just from from that perspective. I like lava too. You can see it in more um, environments like demons and the underworld and stuff like that. But if your players ever start to get a little too magic item rich, you just throw some acid stuff mm. at them and, and sizzle up a few of those magic items. Uh, Black yeah. dragon, oh yeah. Now, for yeah, me- I, I had a golem once that uh, uh, that I put in there, and, and it was an iron golem. So that you know, it was a, f- a higher level party, so they they were pretty uh, confident they could handle an iron golem. Until they started like cutting into it, and and it was kind of a hollow iron golem that was filled with acid. So as as they were cutting into it, it was like poof, bursting these these uh, these sprays of acid that were like you know, you know, destroying their weapons, splashing on their armor, you know, in their faces. Yeah, it was uh, that was a lot of fun. So yeah, acid can be good too, but uh, just for pure cinematic visual impact, uh, uh, lava is uh, yeah. is my preference. I concur. 
Yeah, same here. I think you guys covered all of it. I was actually going to make a stupid like Hunter S. Thompson LSD acid joke, but <laughs> I guess I just did. Oh, that kind of acid. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I've never heard of the illicit substance called lava before, but... <laughs> it's a new street drug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would... Although, although that could be cool, too, where, you know, the, the players decide to go to... Uh, uh, the cheaper alchemists, you know, to get their healing potions, and the, the healing potions are they work, but they're not quite mm-hmm. right. So, you know, there's, there's some hallucinations that creep in after their after their wounds are healed. I w- when you said a, when you said a pit of acid, I didn't. Expect it. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> that'd be the craziest twelve hours of my life. So I, I I feel like if you're going for your classic cliche old school chainmail dungeon crawl. I'd say go acid because that's like what pe- your players are expecting. But if you're going for something more cinematic, lava all day, every day. Lava is really good for an environment and stuff like that. But imagine a creature approaching you dripping acid. That's, eh, yeah. I don't want to fight that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so we've done a lot of talking about encounters kind of outside the the normal definition. So I kind of want to stick with that for the idea that the the listeners can steal. What I think we should do is come up with a cliche encounter, like the the, the guy that runs up to you and says, "You're you're gonna die in four days," and then he collapses down dead. You know, something like that, like or something cliche. And then you know, we take turns turning it into something a little bit different enough to make it, I don't know, fun and okay. interesting. Okay, so let's like let's think of it. Let's first of all let's try to think of the most cliche. Here's the probably the most cliche one I can think of, or at least certainly up there, yeah. is the party's traveling down the road. You see a wagon that looks, quote, broken down, but it's actually an ambush, and the goblins are just off in the tree. How many times have you seen that one? You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going like to say, everybody is in the instantly corner. suspicious. That's it, yeah. <laughs> everybody is instantly suspicious of this broken down wagon, and no one thinks it actually is what it is. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. I think we should stick with it. And, okay. Uh, the first thing I'm going to say is that, you know, usually when you see a broken down wagon, it's like, oh, let's investigate. You know, or maybe, maybe bandits have attacked it or something like that. You know, that's usually the case. Um, and the, it's kind of like a, you know, a, a covered wagon. And I think it'd be really cool if the wagon were filled with bandits, because this is the way that the bandits who raid all these caravans have been getting around. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the it's the bandits that have broken down. Yeah, the bandits have broken down. But before they realize that there are bandits in the caravan, how else can we make this non-cliche? Lava. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everywhere is covered they're in carrying, lava. They're carrying buckets of lava. <laughs> There's a volcano nearby. <laughs> okay, so um, instead of <laughs> instead of horses or mules for this wagon, it's being drawn by two mammoths. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Two? Oh my gosh, that's that's a lot of bandits in that wagon. If it needs two mammoths, it's a wide road. Yeah, it's a flatbed. It's a wide road. It's like one of those city bus wagons. <laughs> hey, how about this? Maybe maybe the bandits are transporting their stuff in this wagon, and they're being attacked by by goblins. <laughs> they're being attacked by goblins or other that's bandits. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait, you're ambushing us? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Talk about we were on the way to an ambush. <laughs> no, you're ambushing us. Talk about adding a little moral ambiguity into your game. You know, the bandits are being attacked <laughs> by bandits. <laughs> well, the, well, well, they're being attacked by something worse. You know, yeah, maybe, maybe there's there, you know, maybe some you know human and halfling and and you know. Uh, more traditional bandits, and they're being attacked by something nastier, like uh, orcs or or hobgoblins or something. You need a way to draw the party in, though, right? Remember, this started off as it's the cliched. Oh, it looks like a broken down wagon, but it actually isn't. Mm. Right, right. Well, that's how you started off. You started off with the, with this with this broken down wagon, and uh, uh, oh my god, maybe 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 it's a trap. maybe maybe as the group is approaching, they see they see someone outside, like two guys working on one of the wheels. But what the two guys working on the wheels don't see is on the hillsides, you know, the party because they're they're back further. They they have a, a better field of vision. They 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 see these uh, orcs or hobgoblins or whatever coming down the hillside, uh, heading for the uh, for the heading for the wagon. Here here here's one here's one. The party goes up to the wagon, and so the ambush is sprung. All the bandits come leaping out of the back of the wagon. Ah, they all start attacking, mm-hmm. and five seconds later. 50 orcs come rushing in. <laughs> ah, holy shit. Everybody starts shitting bricks. The party's now siding with the bandits to fight I, off the you, it, I like You can that. have that scene like where that. one of the bandits looks at one of the player characters like, we're fighting together now, right? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. exactly. That exactly. moment. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Oh, that is that's perfect. awesome. I like that. Cool. And then, and then the last orc is finally felled and they look at each other again. Do we have to start fighting now? I think that's, you know, that's like we've been talking this whole time, you know, leave it up to your players. That's the point, you know, you know that they're going to fight. Yeah. You know, leave it up to your players. Like when they're facing off against these bandits, are they going to say, okay, all right, we're cool now because we fought together. Or are they going to be like, nope, back to mission one, you know, let them <laughs> do what they want to do. That's right, totally. and it can become even more ambig- you know, more uh, you know, difficult to sort of see see the moral black and white. If maybe one of these bandits actually ends up saving one of the PCs, or maybe yeah. one of the bandits is using a child as a shield, Captain Gothnog. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> take the a bandits drink, take a drink, folks. throwing the hostages at the orc. Every episode, talk <laughs> about. The the term human shields really just means like a completely literal thing. So, all right. So, all right. First off, uh, check out Rob the Swamper at youtube.com slash user slash the Swamper. Also, just want to throw this out there. Uh, at BrigadeCon 2014, uh, there was a, a panel called Monster Matters. And uh, you were in that, right, Rob? Yeah, I talked yep. about dragons. Awesome. Yeah, you had the dragons. That's what I was making sure. Yep. Uh, Matt, Alex, and Rob were all in this uh, kind of hour-long, uh, basically a, a podcast with film on it, you know, a visual podcast <laughs> about monsters. So if you go to YouTube and you just, you know, search for Brigade Con Monster, it'll be one of the first things to pop up. So Brigade Con Definitely. Monster Matters. Um Otherwise, thank you all for listening to this episode. Um, 
Uh, Matt, we can't wait to have you back again. And by the time you hear this, I will be 29 years old because by the, at this time hey. we're recording, I am going to be 29 in two days. So happy birthday, birthday. future me. And I'll be 49 in, in that many days too. So yeah. Do we have the same birthday? Uh, I'm May 19th. Okay. I'm May 15th. Oh, close. Yeah. Very close. So, Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, we're we're doing the podcast. Uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. My name is Barker. My name is Alex, aka Captain Gothnog. I'm Rob the Swamper. Ba ba ba. You guys were supposed to chime in with your ba 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 ba. So let's try that. Oh damn it! Ba 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 ba. All right, everybody, have a great day. Bye. This show has been produced by Roll Up and Die and is copyright 2015. It is owned by all three of the primary hosts. The games, movies, and other properties mentioned in this show are the property of their respective owners. Stealing is wrong. You can find all three of the hosts on YouTube and other websites. Matt is at youtube.com slash a fistful of dice. Captain Gothnog is at youtube.com slash Captain Gothnog. And Barker is at www.beabettergamemaster.com. Listeners are free to use this show in any way, shape, or form as long as credit is provided to the Roll Up and Die podcast. Look for other releases of this show at www.beabettergamemaster.com or at facebook.com slash rollupanddie. Have a fantastic day, and as always, happy gaming.